uh, your seat somewhere. You should have. Just grab that for me. Just grab that. And what I want you to do is this. Now, first of all, if you're new this morning, if it's your first time, if you're not a Christian, you get a free morning this morning. Kick back, relax. Don't worry about what I'm about to do. But if you belong to Arena, if you're a Christian, this is for you. So grab the, grab the piece of paper. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to write down the names of the three closest people to you who aren't Christians. So if you need a pen, pens are going round now. I think there are people with pens. If you need a pen, just chuck your hand up. People do have them. I think. Where are my pen people? Oh, there we are. They're coming round now. Great. Yeah, just write, just write the names. You're the closest people to you who don't come to church, who aren't Christians. So family, friends, work colleagues, whatever it may be. Do me a favour, do that quickly and I'll continue as you do that. Okay, it's good to hear that we're kind of bubbling away. But as I mentioned, we're coming into a new series this morning. It's a mini-series. Me and Christian are going to be um, just speaking over the next two weeks, just as we transition into our Christmas period, on Make It Count. Make It Count. There it is on the wall. Make It Count. And this really comes from a heart of, we want to make our lives count, don't we, church? We don't want to just coast through life. We want our lives to make a difference. And the two things that Christian and I are going to be sharing over the next two weeks, we believe are foundational to living a life that makes a difference, to living a life that can make it count. Who here loves Christmas? I love Christmas. Christmas is rapidly approaching. Me and my wife have been watching Christmas films from the start of November. We've uh, probably already watched maybe five to ten Christmas films. You might not be ready for Christmas. I'm just intrigued to know, though, has anyone got Christmas decorations up yet? Yes, Amy. Amy has got Christmas decorations up. Amy, I like that. Me and Helen will be coming quickly to that. But Christmas is amazing. Love Christmas. And the amazing thing about Christmas in the life of church is this, that people outside of church who... Normally, you know, they're probably not thinking about church, not thinking about Jesus. People outside of church actually, through the Christmas period, thinking about church. They're thinking about Jesus. They're thinking about that compelling story of Jesus coming to earth as a baby, of Mary, Joseph, of all those things. It's amazing. And what it does is it affords us an opportunity as a church to have more influence than ever before. This season, people are looking. I mean, I got back to work after being on holiday and... I had the guys coming to me saying, can we come to church? We want to come to church. We want to come to church. And obviously I was like, no, no, you can't come to church. No, obviously I'm like, yeah, you know, it'd be great to have you and, and do that kind of thing. But people want to come to church. They want to come and sing carols. They want to come and be a part of the, the Christmas thing. So in this next season, I mean, we want to make our lives count. But even in this next season, this next five, six week period, I believe that we can make this count for our most fruitful period in arena ever. Is anyone with me? Now, let's just go to the Bible, if that's okay. Luke 14, verse 23 says this. It's Jesus speaking. It says this. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, we're going to park that for just a minute. But there's this one question that Christians throughout the world fear. 
There's this one question that is very utterance, shakes Christians to the bones throughout the world, the world. Let me give you an example of this question. You're going back to work on a Monday morning. You're looking forward to seeing your friends. You're looking forward to being at work, hopefully. You're there. You know, I don't know what you do at your work, but we high five and give, give hugs at our work. That's what we do. We say hello. The kettle's on. It's going great. You're catching up with your friends at work. It's brilliant. Until one person utters this question. They have the audacity to ask this question. The question is this. What did you do at the weekend? Now, now, most of you here, some of you here this morning, you might think, that's a, that's a lovely question. That's really nice, a concern. But Christians, like you know, that this question means something else. And, you know, the Christian, you stood there, you're like, oh my word, how can I get away from this conversation? Looking for the nearest exit, deciding if you can get away from the conversation at all. You realize that actually you can't do that. So you answer with something like this. What did I do at the weekend? Oh my word, Friday? Like, oh. Friday was the best night. Honestly, got a curry, watched Graham Norton. Friday was unbelievable. Oh, you want to know about Saturday? Oh, we had a nice little Saturday. Saturday was amazing. Went to Westfield Centre, had a coffee, just walked around. You know, maxing, relaxing, it ain't too taxing. That kind of thing. Just chilling out. Saturday night, watched X Factor. Hello, Honey G. Any Honey G followers in here? Yeah? Honey G, you know, watch that. Saturday was amazing. Uh, uh, what about your weekend? Oh, no, no. You forgot to tell me about Sunday. <laughs> Sunday? What, what did I do Sunday? I can't remember what I did Sunday. Yeah, it was yesterday. You just told me in detail about Friday, Saturday. I, I, what did I do Sunday? Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I went to church. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I missed you. What did you say there? Yeah, yeah, I, I went to church. Sorry, I, I can't quite get what you're saying because you're covering your mouth. Uh, what is it? Yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Just this, I went to this thing with, you know, some friends. Okay, that sounds interesting. No, no, I just went to this thing with some friends. This guy speaks, band plays. Yeah, that sounds like a, a church. Yeah, it's a church. <laughs> I go to church. Now, I use hyperbole and exaggeration to make my point this morning, but the reality is I think most people in this room will have gone through this thing of maybe at some time in your Christian faith being scared to tell people that you follow Jesus. Being scared to tell people that you go to church. Being scared to tell people that you belong to a group of Jesus followers. Am I right? Anyone else? Or is it just me? Yeah? See, I know there's some people in the congregation this morning, you know, you've got more faith than Whoopi Goldberg and Sister Act 2. But for some of us... You know, you're like, oh, 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 you know, into work on a, on a Sunday morning. Praise Jesus, you know. But uh, you know, but for some of us, you know, we're, some of us at times, you know, we're, we're weak and um, and we've not got it all together. Is that fair to say? I'm not here this morning to stand at the front and and kind of judge or condemn anybody because I've been there. In my teens, I um, I struggled with this and I hated the fact that I did. And what I did was I asked God every single day, I said, God, make me bold. God, make me bold. God, make me, me bold. And somewhere between the first prayer that I prayed and the thousandth prayer that I prayed, God made me bold. If you're in this place this morning and you're struggling with this, there's freedom here today for you. What I want to speak about this morning is making it count through bringing. Making it count through bringing. See, what I'm talking about here has been the enemy to churches growing. 
This thing of being scared about telling people who we are in Jesus. This thing about being scared of telling people what we do on a Sunday. It stopped churches growing. It stopped you growing. And actually, at times, it's crippled churches from making a difference and having an influence in their area. See, I want more than that church, don't you? See, I just need to kind of define bringing a little bit for you this morning. Also bring the definition between an invite and bringing. See, an invite is this. Hey, go to this church Sunday morning, 10 30 a.m., see you there. See, bringing goes a bit further. You normally invite someone you don't know that well, but you bring someone you have influence over. See, bringing looks like this. I go into work, uh, you know, whatever day, and say, hey, Carl from work. I don't call him Carl from work. I just say, hey, Carl. <laughs> hey, Carl. <laughs> His name's not Carl from work. That's a really weird name. Hey, Carl. I know we've been talking a while, you know, we've been talking about me being a Christian and, you know, you've made a few jokes and, you know, we've had a bit of a laugh about it and different things like that. But you mentioned a while back that, you know, you'd like to come at some point and we've got this Christmas service coming up. Honestly, it's going to be phenomenal. I think your family would love it. Um, Why don't we? I'll I'll meet you there. We'll, We'll sit together. Our families will sit together. And then afterwards, let's go out for some food. Let's go out and share some dinner together. It'll be a great day. Let's do that. That's bringing, you see, Inviting is just asking someone to go to come. Bringing requires more of us. Bringing requires actually sacrifices. Phil said, "Bringing requires more." You see, I believe that if we can get this as a, as a church, we'll see God do something so special through this group of people that actually we we look back in a few years' time and say, "Wow, look what God's done." If we look at the first church, Acts 2 church, you know, we talk about Acts 2, if you, again, if you're a Christian, sorry I'm making certain assumptions this morning, but I've got to race through. In Acts 2, there is, it gives a, a vision and shows the first church. And this church was a church that was growing daily by people who were finding Jesus. I believe the reason this church was so explosive was because people had encountered this Jesus and, and they were just sharing it with the friends openly. They were like, guys, look, I've encountered this Jesus. I go to this thing and listen, you've got to come and see it. It's unbelievable what God's doing. It's unbelievable what he's done in our lives. That church in Acts 2 multiplied from a number of 120 to a number of 5,000 in a few weeks, then to a number that could not be counted. There was one service that they ran that the whole town went to. In a matter of weeks. That's not any, there's not any, any spiritual mumbo jumbo here. This is not complicated. This is people encountering Jesus and then saying to their friends, you've got to come and see what I've seen. You've got to come and feel what I feel. You've got to come and see this. It's unbelievable. See, what we're believing for in arena, we're not believing for addition. We're believing for multiplication. A multiplication of people knowing God. A multiplication of people finding freedom. A multiplication of people discovering the purpose. And a multiplication of people making a difference. Anyone else? That's what we're believing for. See, at times we've been a barrier to this. I've been a barrier to this. I believe some people in here have been a barrier to this. We've not brought. We've not even invited. We've not been out there with our faith for whatever reason. Let's go back to Luke 14. Luke 14, 23 again. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. We have a few characters here. We have the master, who's God. We have the servant, who I believe represents us. And then we have the master's house, which I believe represents God's house here today, church. And the master, God, is saying to his servant, go to the 
country, country lanes, go to the roads, basically where you have influence and compel them to come in so that my house can be full. I want to ask the, ask the question this morning, are you compelling or are you compromising? Are you compelling or are you compromising? Are you compelling that God's house will be full or are you compromising because you're scared? Are you compelling so that people might know Jesus or are you compromising because I just come to church on Sunday and I go home and that's how I do it? Are you compelling so that people can experience the freedom that you've experienced or are we compromising because we're scared of what people might think of us? Are you compelling or are you compromising? See, we have to understand this. Being a Christian isn't just about being a good person. There's plenty of great people in the world. Now, being a Christian is being a good person. But it's more than that. It's following Jesus. You know, and Jesus is so passionate about people. He came for people. He came for you and me. And Jesus, when he, when he, um, when he died and rose again and left for heaven, he gave us this commission to make disciples. We are called to make disciples. We are called to tell people about Jesus. We are called to share our faith. This Jesus has entrusted us with his most important message that he loves people and he cares for people. You know that workplace? If, you, if people don't know you're a Christian, they might never encounter Jesus. You might be their only opportunity to encounter Jesus. You know, in that workplace, the reality is this. You are meant to be Jesus to those people. In that social setting, in that golf club, in that football team, you're supposed to be Jesus to those people. And that's not always the way it is. This morning, I want to talk about three ways in which great bringers are compelling. Three ways in which great bringers are compelling. Now, we're just going to fire the definition of compelling up on the screen. It says this. Evoking interest, attention, or admiration in a powerfully irresistible way. Not able to be refuted, inspiring. Not able to be resisted, overwhelming. That's to be compelling. That's a pretty cool definition, isn't it? First of all, number one. Are you with me? Still with me? Number one is this. Great bringers have a compelling heart. Great bringers have a compelling heart. And that heart's for Jesus. And Jesus' heart is for people. Great bringers have a compelling heart. The heart for Jesus and a heart for people. See, at times, I think we've made bringing, I think we've made telling people about Jesus or evangelization, if you want to call it that. We've made it about us. We've made it about our message. We've made it about winning an argument. We've made, it more, we've made our point more important than the person we're speaking to. You have to understand this. If someone came to me, it could be great advice, it could be terrible advice, and they rammed what they believed down my throat, I would not listen to a word they're saying. That is not acceptable. But sometimes in Christian circles, we've done that. We've rammed things down people's throats. We've not been bothered about the person. We've just been bothered about ticking a a, a box. Yeah, actually, I've told my person about Jesus this morning. They might be crying in the corner, you know, but I've told my my person about Jesus. You walk into work, you're like, you must be saved. You know, know, bring it. I'm going to bring fire in my workplace. You know, it's not about that. (laughs) The message is so important. But more than that is a heart for people. I don't see Jesus. I don't see Jesus ram anything down people's throat. Jesus loved people. 
I see it all through the, the Gospels. I see Jesus loving people, getting on people's le- level, caring for people, and to have no other agenda apart from that he cared for them. When people contacted Jesus, they left changed. Why? Not because he'd, not because he'd outlined you know, three theological points, but because he loved them. A story I love, a compelling story, and I'm sorry I can't go into it more, but go away and look at it. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Flipping love the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and what you need to understand about tax collectors in this day, that they were the most hated people. They were the thieves, they were the robbers, they were taxing people two, three, four times to line their own pockets. So people hated tax collectors. They hung around in the wrong circles, all that stuff. And Jesus was coming through town. And as was the case, when Jesus walked through a town, people were there. People wanted to see him. There were, there were crowds. There were crowds and crowds of people wanting to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was a short man. He climbed a tree and, because he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus walked through this crowd, saw Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, I want to come and spend some time with you. What then happens, it doesn't explain in great detail, but what then happens is, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and I believe they have a meal, but more of a party. You know, people are there. And I believe the people that were at Zacchaeus' party were not nice people. You know, we see this thing, we, we read things in the Bible, and we think, oh, wasn't it lovely, you know? Everyone was probably so nice. There was doves coming down, you know? It was, it was just beautiful. It was perfect. But the reality is, that wasn't the case. People called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard for a reason, because they were the kind of people he hung around. I believe in this party, there were probably prostitutes. There were people saying things they shouldn't say, people doing things that they shouldn't do. They were the wrong kind of people, people from the wrong, kind of, uh, wrong side of the tracks. But Jesus was there. And what did Jesus do? It doesn't say Jesus preached a message. It says Jesus ate, ate with them. He spent time with them. He loved them. He placed value on them. He showed people that he was there for them and that he cared for them. And what happens at the end of this meal? Zacchaeus randomly stands up at the end of this meal and said, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor and anything I've, anything I've taken, anything I've stole from someone, I'm going to pay him back. And I'm going to pay him back a few more times as well. Jesus stands up and says, salvation has come to this house. Why did that happen? That did not happen because Jesus spoke a great message. That happened because Jesus loved somebody. That happened because Jesus got into someone's life. Listen, when you love people, that gives you influence. When you love people, that gives you the the right to speak into people's situations. I've experienced this throughout my life, in my work, that as I've not been offended by people's sin, you know, because sometimes we can get, I think Christians, we get a bit offended by people's sin. Listen, we can't be offended by that. Jesus was never offended by that. It can't draw you away. People aren't going to live like you live. People are going to live different because if we're all being honest, we've all been a mess at some point, haven't we? We have to love people. We have to get into the situation. We have to show people we're there for them, that we care for them, that we love them. And as you do that, you know what will happen? They'll come to you and say, hey, I need some advice. You seem like, you know, there's something different about you. Can you... Can you tell me what I should do? Great bringers have a compelling heart. That heart's for Jesus and Jesus' heart's for people. If we have a heart for people, listen, people will be begging to come to church with you. I saw this amazing start this last week, and I should have said this earlier, but I didn't. This amazing start this last week, and it said this. Uh, sorry, it was a, it was a survey that's been done in England this year, not Australia, not America, in England this year. 
And the question was this, if you were invited to church by a friend, would you come? 82% of people said they'd come to church if they were invited by a friend. Not, not invited by a random person in the street, by a friend. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Imagine that in your friends. If you invited 10 friends, if you brought 10 friends, eight would come. You might say, no, those, those figures are un- unbelievable, Josh. Well, actually, last year, I, um, I, I asked my office to come to church at the Christmas services. Uh, nine people at that time. And uh, six came and one was away. So those figures kind of work, don't they? And this isn't, like I said, just going to Tesco and inviting a random person. This is inviting people you know, people you have influence over, people that love you, people that know that you're not weird, people that know that, you know, actually if Josh goes to church or if, you know, or if Joanna goes to church, actually it must be okay because I, I know she's pretty cool. I know she's all right. Do you understand what I'm saying? It gives credibility to it. Because when people... Um, are invited to church or think about church, what they think is this. They think they're going to be judged. They think no one's going to talk to them. They think it's going to be really boring. They don't know what to wear. They don't know how to act. And this is, you know, it's normal to some of us guys, but for people coming in, that's not the case. So what we have to do is we have to, to make a way where people can feel comfortable coming in, where people can feel like they belong here, don't we? So that they can encounter Jesus. What we're doing is this. We're not manufacturing anything, but we're getting some of the rubbish out of the way so that people can see Jesus. Number two, great bringers have a compelling life. Great bringers have a compelling life. I believe that the world's looking for something better. I honestly believe it. From people I know, from conversations I have, from my own microcosm of society, there are people trying to exit marriages because they think there's a better way. People trying to... Uh, you know, escape from their life at the weekend by either taking drugs or, or getting drunk. People trying to improve the life by gaining possessions. And the reality is that doesn't really work. People are looking for a better way. People are looking for a new way. And I believe you and me as Christians, we have to model that other way. If we say that we're living a life fueled by Jesus, living a life fueled by his Holy Spirit, then our lives must look different to that of those around us. Our lives must make an impact. I, I love this, um, this verse, verse in Matthew seven twenty-eight. It says this about Jesus. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. Why was Jesus teaching the best they'd ever heard? Because he lived what he said. I've been a hypocrite before. I'm sure we all have. I'm I'm, I'm the first to say that in this place. But, you know, at times, Christians, we've been the liars. We've been the cheaters. We've been the gossipers. We've been the people who have hurt people, have been their haters. We can't live like that, especially when people know who we are. Listen, your words are important, but the life you live speaks far more than any word that you could ever say. You should live a life that people are coming to you and saying, there's something different about you and I want what you've got. Then you have the opportunity to say, yeah, difference is Jesus I think there's some people in here you're going through a hard time I felt this 
people going through a hard time, you're going through a trial, and you're finding it hard. You're finding it hard. You're finding it hard to be you. You're finding it hard to follow Jesus. And this is what you have to understand. Sometimes those people around you, those people who don't know Jesus, are more bothered about how you act when you're going through something than when everything's okay. And I believe as you continue to honor Jesus, as you continue to live a life fueled by him, as you continue to love people even in the trial, that will be a testimony to those people. And people, again, will say, how did you do it? How did you do it when I know that your world's falling apart, really, in the natural, but you just seem together. How do you do it? And then you get the chance to say, you know what, Jesus? It's his power. I couldn't get through it if it wasn't for him. I couldn't get through it if it wasn't for his grace. I couldn't get through it if it wasn't for him carrying me. Your life speaks far more than the words that you speak. Finally, number three, great bringers have a compelling story. Great bringers have a compelling story. See, it's a lie that to share your faith you have to be a preacher, you have to be an extrovert, you, you have to be, you know, this crazily outgoing person. It's a complete lie. You don't. You just have to be you. See, I've learned over the years that I don't have to share out of what I don't have. I have to give out of what I do have. And there's been times where we've made this really complicated. We've made sharing our faith really, really complicated. We've had to you know, go through theological points. We've had to talk about the seven steps of salvation, all all kinds of stuff. We felt like we needed to go through these detailed, complex points when that's not the reality. I've come to the realization that the most compelling story I can tell is mine. The most compelling story I can tell is mine. I can try and tell Hannah's story. I can try and tell Lisa's story. I can try and tell Debbie's story. But you know what? The power's not there because it's not my story. The most compelling story I can tell is mine of how Jesus has saved me, of how Jesus has changed me, of how Jesus has carried me when I couldn't walk anymore, of how Jesus has been there for me throughout my life, of how Jesus has just walked with me. The most compelling story I can tell is mine. And listen this morning, if you're stood in here, you have a story. You have a story of how God changed you. You have a story of how God saved you. You have a story of how God set you free. Don't go into the theological points. Tell people your story. This is my story. God saved me, and guess what? I believe he can do it for you. It's not complicated. The most compelling story you can tell is yours. It's yours. It carries weight when it's yours. So that's it. I'm pretty much done. Those three points. Compelling bringers. Uh, Sorry, great bringers have a compelling heart. Heart for Jesus and Jesus' hearts for people. Great bringers have a compelling life. A life that makes a difference. Great bringers have a compelling story. Yours. You know, if we want to make it count, we need to make it simple. This isn't complicated. At times we've made it complicated. I want to free from that this morning. It's as simple as this. Saying to that friend, saying to that work colleague, hey, I'd love to bring you to church. Why don't I pick you up and we'll come together? It's as simple as this. Hey, I'd love you to come to church. Um, why don't we, we meet together and, and, and we'll go and get dinner afterwards? That's what bringers do. It, it costs something, sure. But you know what? That's going to make people feel comfortable. 
that's going to get people into this house. I want to ask you that question again. Are you compelling or are you compromising? After today, I don't think you have an excuse. It's easy. It's sim- sorry, it's simple. It may be not easy, but I believe if you break through, we can see God do something phenomenal. If we're serious about impacting our world, if we're serious about making a difference in our town, if we're serious about changing areas, then this thing of bringing has to be close to our hearts. It's something that we all have to carry. You know, if 200 of us can get this, who knows what God can do? I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. I kind of tricked you, if I'm being honest. Those three names you wrote down, the the people closest to you who aren't Christians, I'm going to challenge you to bring those over this next Christmas period. There are services that we're putting on that are so accessible for people. There are services uh, that we're putting on that are going to be really easy for people to come to. I want to ask you, will you bring? Those three people you wrote down, will you bring? You know, if we do that, I don't know if, um, if you're a mathematician here, but there's probably about 200 of us in the room today. If all of us got serious about bringing those three people, we'd see 800 people through the life of the church over Christmas. That's amazing, hey? 600 new people. Now, I'm not standing up here and not going to do it. I'm believing that, again, I'm going to be able to bring my office and they're going to come and see what this is all about. But this morning, will you commit to bringing those three? I want this to be something we talk about over the next few weeks. I want this to be something that, you know, we get some traction with. I want us to challenge each other. Who are you bringing? You know, if you're a bit worried and you've got a a mutual friend, both go after them. (laughs) This can change the world, I believe. This can change our world. I didn't talk about this earlier, but you might say, yeah, Josh, you said earlier we're meant to create disciples, not to bring. Well, I believe the best way in the 21st century that we can create disciples is by bringing people into the house of God, by bringing people here. You know, there's amazing teaching here. People can experience the presence of God here. And the way it looks is like this discipleship, I believe. You bring them into God's house. They get saved. They get plugged in. And you're walking alongside them, encouraging them, helping them, praying for them. That's what it means, I believe, in the 21st century to make disciples. But we're going to stand. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing. And then I'd like to come back and pray for us in just a minute. But let's just lift God up. Let's honor him. You know, if you're scared this morning, in this worship, just release it. If you've not been telling people, you know, if you've been scared to tell people, release it this morning. I believe Jesus is going to set you free. Come on, let's worship God.